0: So, I mean, it seems pretty. I, honestly, it seems obvious to me what's taken it. It's well, we talked about everywhere.
1: it in our Discord. I I yeah. don't know. Rewatching that one that I think you're gonna say, I was. It's a little bit too long. It's a little bit too weird. Yeah. And with the like the past couple years, especially last year with Coda and Green Book, they like to pat themselves on the back a lot.
0: That one's gonna. I mean, that is one though because you know. And look. I I like the movie well enough. I think that it is like, you know, it's a pretty entertaining movie. It's got interesting ideas. It is about, it is something that really does a good job of capturing um, what the modern day feels like. Just even the title of like, yeah, we are being hit in the face with like everything around the world all at the same time. Thanks to the internet. I think that's secretly what the movie is about is the internet and how it is affecting the different generations of people right um this idea that there's this infinite like source of knowledge to learn other things from others but also you see like misery and pain everywhere you look as well you know
1: well it to me that is part of it and it seems to come from just our understanding of the universe like we go back 200 years like you didn't have that much to worry about and now like just maybe on the the sheer knowledge depending on where
0: you live but yes but you're you're right but um but uh, yeah but like the whole idea of
1: existentialism and even beyond that to like multiversal existentialism and the fact of like does anything even matter yeah like if you know all the shit that's going on in the world if you know the possibilities that like this could be the like that's another thing is like this could be the matrix and like we're just yeah experiencing someone else's uh or like what's the what's the theory of like we're all god's own perception of like each other right yeah
0: i don't remember the, they would name what that kind of philosophy is but I'm just saying um so I, I i think the movie is heady in a way like that but of course in a pretty digestible way which i think is is impressive so i think there's a lot going for that movie and in terms of like you said patting themselves on the back it's a weird choice because it's a weird enough movie but it's also a safe choice because it's a diverse cast you know it's and multicultural multicultural it is family,
1: but that's that's yeah. the thing to me is that i do think Fablemans will take it i think the daniels have a really good shot at best director yeah i think that movie is such a vision but i it's Hollywood. They love movies about movies and movie making. That's true. Spielberg is such a like an, an institution. I mean, of that itself. is.
0: Yeah. But everything everywhere. All at once also has a degree of that, too, about like this kind of, um, you know, it is weirdly meta in a sense at times. And so, like, I, I think you're right. But I think Spielberg, he's at this weird position where he's going to get these noms every time he's going to get maybe a win or two. But they're never going to be, I don't think never, but I think they, the Academy feels, well, Spielberg doesn't need this. You know what I mean? I feel like that's kind of the weird perception about him. Is that like, okay, we have to acknowledge him, but we don't have to actually like give him the fucking thing, you know?
1: You know, and I hope they don't follow this train of thought for Kate Blanchett, because I yeah. honestly think she deserves it for Tar. Yeah, oh yeah, but it'd she's be great. already won. Yeah. That's kind of she inarguable. Doesn't need another Oscar. Exactly.
0: It's kind. Of, it's kind of inarguable. It's funny because I was just listening to. um, I don't know if you ever listening to Scott hasn't seen, uh, podcast. No. I really, I really, I really, really love that podcast. It's a great side of Scott Ackerman to hear him like be semi serious and actually break down movies and things like that. Um. But they, were, they had Haley Joel Osment on talking about Ben-Hur. because they're talking about Oscar movies that okay. Scott yeah, hasn't yeah. seen before. And Haley Joel Osment kind of described like his whole experience being nominated for an Oscar as a kid. And then a little bit of his experience as an Oscar voter because he has been one ever since he got nominated. And so he talks about that. He's like, you have those intrusive thoughts of like, oh, well, this person hasn't had anything in this long. Or this person kind of like... You know what I mean? They lost out this many times. He's like, those thoughts always creep in your head when you're voting. And he didn't reveal any of any of his votes for this year. Um, But it, it was an interesting insight into like the Oscar voters mentality, you know? Sure. Um,
1: you know, that's interesting that you bring it up because uh, all of the Best Actor nominees are never before been nominated, so that's a very interesting category. Wait, literally all you know, of them? Category. All oh. of the, the Best Actor. That's cool. Um, and then... I had went to see Living uh, the other day. Yeah. It was actually very full. It was it was the smallest theater in that regal. And it was full. Everyone was like at least 25 years older than me, practically. <laughs> and I don't know if you know this, but it's basically a remake of Akiru. Oh, shit. Um, the Kurosawa film. Yeah, with yeah. With Bill Nighy as the main guy. But about like 15 to 20 mm. minutes into the movie, you just hear... Oh i mean hey that was me during infinity pool to be fair <laughs> sure it was just it was a very funny like this well it's very stuffy and very yeah. pretentious almost so th- to have that happen i started lo- i was laughing to myself it's, have you, you know uh, he does a good he does a good job acting. oh yeah, it's yeah. A, of course he does it's a decent movie it's just kind of like did you really need to remake this i i could see merit in remaking akiru you know what i
0: mean um Maybe in, in a modern sense, like, you could do something interesting with it.
1: Uh, right, but they did, they just made it contemporary, they didn't make it contemporary. They still, they said it still in the 50s, but uh, in well. Britain. So it's still even, like, yeah. You, what, <laughs> really? It's in color now. Okay, great.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that is a, like, I mean, it, it obviously is a universal idea for that movie, but it's also distinctly Japanese, too, in the way it's breaking down. Japanese bureaucracy and work ethic as well. So, like, you'd have to make some well, changes to, like, you know.
1: But that's the thing. Like, I feel like you can. Else. Yeah, you can do something cool. That's with that is one that's very easy to show with British people. Yeah, bureaucracy. totally. bureaucracy. Yep. Yeah, Uh
0: So I well, was gonna I, say, I I'm mean, saying more, Fablemans. You're saying, I mean, honestly, my my guess is that if it's not E E A O, uh, whatever, um, then it is uh Banshees and Sharon, which I think. Actors, that's going to get split because you have so many actors nominated in the same. Ca- you know what I mean, like best supporting. Keegan right. unfortunately probably isn't going to get it. Neither was Gleason. You're, you're splitting the vote there, but I think that movie has enough power behind it that it if the votes get split between everything everywhere and like Fablemans or anything else, Banshees is so well liked by everybody. I think it just has a shot of getting it by default.
1: You know that's kind of happened yeah. a few times. I think it's definitely going to take an original screenplay, but I hope so. We'll see. And that's the one we'll too. See. Like,
0: if that wins every ca- everything it's nominated for, I am a v- happy man. Honestly, because like, great movie. Just like, you know, maybe it was not my favorite of last year, but it's it is so good that like, I just I would be
1: happy to see get recognized for stuff. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's up for costume design, and I would Ooh, think yeah. that's that's a really high one because it was some good sweater game. So wait, that Colin movie. Farrell
0: has never been nominated for an Oscar before nope wow that's shocking i I swear he had for something
1: that's cool i i'm from what i remember reading all of the best actor so austin butler bill nighy colin farrell uh dano supporting right he didn't get a nom michelle williams did yeah but i can't remember the other two right now but yeah did the kid from the fablemans get nominated he didn't, right? I don't think so, no. But that's a shame. No, just... He should have been. Yeah. He was good.
0: Yeah. it's This This is one of those years where it's, there's not a lot for me to be like, nah, get that bullshit out of here. You know what I mean? In terms of these movies. Like, I mean, there's a couple I haven't seen, Even- so like, I can't expressly say, but like, you know...
1: Even Elvis has a place at the table. Yeah. It is such a, like... I mean, it's ...wild swing.
0: I need to see... I'm I'm going to watch... Best picture. Yeah, I'm going to watch Elvis next. I've been interested in that lately. And um, I... uh, Let's get into the... Introducing the podcast. Hello, this is... Let's do it.
1: The Weekly
0: Podcast Massacre. And I am your host, Greg, from rainy and stormy Los Angeles. And uh, with me, as always, is my co-host...
1: Hi, I'm Michael from the frozen hellscape that is Portland, (laughs) and everyone just calls me Murphy. Yeah, we are in the throes of, like,
0: actually feeling climate change, because, like, the storming here has been fucking crazy. I've been seeing pictures of Portland buried under snow. Um, We got
1: 10 inches. God damn. That's insane. I heard you guys had your first, like, blizzard warning in like almost 30 years or something basically something like Like that that? yeah i
0: mean my i mentioned i was talking to you about it before we started recording my power was out for 24 hours just like you know it was totally in the dark it was freezing cold um i had to go to a coffee shop to charge everything the next morning sit there i didn't even have hot water so i couldn't even shower um i mean i could have but it would have been miserable uh but yeah uh you know hey what better way to distract ourselves from the impending apocalypse then uh, talking about movies like we do in this podcast about horror movies a different theme every single month and right now we are in the throes of Maniac March where we are exploring serial serial killer films without a supernatural bent. Um, so last week we discussed pieces and uh, today on the podcast we are talking about the 1960 uh, I would say for its time underrated now Greatly appreciated classic, Peeping Tom, directed by Michael Powell. I've,
1: yeah, I've always heard this as a proto slasher.
0: Yeah, which I think fits. And I
1: had not seen it until these two viewings that I did, and it's I was also reading. It came out like three months before Psycho, it so did. it even like was jumping the gun of this. You know, uh, psychotic from childhood, like due to their childhood raising right turned into a uh, a serial killer
0: yes exactly and uh there's a lot of fascinating parallels between this and psycho and other movies that um we will be discussing this month and uh it, it's such a it's like a we'll dive into it a lot in a second but first this is kind of going to go back to what we were just talking about a little bit um but we should talk about uh things other things non-horror that you've been reading or listening to Or watching, playing. Uh, Do you have anything to recommend?
1: Two real quick. I did go see Close, which is up for best foreign uh, film this year. Uh, Five out of five. I have no notes for it. I cried multiple times in the movie. It's so emotionally raw. It's very charged. I think everyone will have some attachment to the story. Like it's about the deterioration of a friendship. And we've all been through that on in some degree or another, and so it's whether you identify with someone who's pushing away, or if you're being pushed away. So it's very, uh, it's just very good. Some of the best child acting you'll ever see in okay. your entire
0: life. Sounds a little bit like uh, Banshees and Sharon is about that same thing, you know. So that's, it, that's cool. yeah.
1: I had a lot of thoughts that they are very similar to a degree. Um, there was another film I was like, oh, this has that type of, of bent to it. But then I saw one that was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Have you ever seen Sexy Beast? Uh, no, I've never heard of that. Oh my god. Greg, you gotta put this on your list, like, as soon as possible. Uh, Ray Winstone is a retired British gangster living in Spain. And Ben Kingsley is, like, his old friend who comes and is trying to get him to do one last job. I don't know if I've ever seen a per- performance quite like Ben Kingsley in this movie. It was astounding. He like. He sucks all of the air out of the room in whatever scenes he's in. He is like mean and yelling and degradating Ooh. everybody, and it is so fantastic. It has a lot of um weird. Kind of time jumps at times. Uh, Ian McShane is also in it. Yeah, very... I was just
0: going to bring him up because I see him on I new be here.
1: Weirdly, yeah. Like, he popped up and was like, wow, I didn't know he was in this. But, like, he's very good. But just, I don't know if I've ever seen someone as good as Ben Kingsley. Excuse me, Sir Ben Kingsley in this movie. And it was just baffling to me to think about, like, him winning an Oscar for Gandhi And, like, such a, like, good, quote-unquote good person. We all all know he's kind of a piece of shit later on. But, like, you know, a a saintly type person to win an Oscar for that. And then to do, like, the exact opposite and just pull it off so well. Damn, that looks fucking good. Cannot recommend it enough. It's only, like, 85 minutes or something like that. Okay, all right, there you go. It's really good. It's so good. This
0: is great. I mean, this is what's great. I just I feel like we get into similar things sometimes, and or just you'll bring up something that is just like you've somehow predicted what I'm going to talk about. It happened twice already since we've been talking because the two things I'm going to talk about, uh, maybe three things, I'll throw one more in there probably. Honestly, maybe four. I'll, I'll do quick ones though. Uh, but for the letterbox raffle that I do sometimes, I was tasked with watching Aki or Kurosawa's high and low. Um, Mm. which was fucking incredible. Uh, Really loved that. Actually has some, uh, a little bit of, I would say teeny bit of relation to Peeping Tom in very vague ways. Um, So love that. Not not really much to say about it, honestly, aside from I thought it was brilliant. And um, it kind of ties into another thing I'm recommend, which is Heat 2. Uh, I've been reading Heat 2. By Michael Mann and Meg Gardner, I think you say, is how you say her name. And that's right.
1: I did hear about this. Yeah. I, I started it I, it. I
0: started it months ago and it was like, okay, kind of cool. But then I just hit a point where, because um, it, it it is set both after the events of Heat and before the events of Heat. So you do get like De Niro's character with his crew doing jobs, you know, and then the aftermath of like what happens in Heat. Um, but when it flashes back to, uh, Pacino's character in, he's a cop in Chicago, like tracking down like a series of like home invasions by this like really dangerous crew. It just, it hits that heat magic of like you have Pacino at a crime scene calling shots, being like, okay, then you're going to do this and you're going to, these guys are here. You could tell from the point of entry, just like amazing, like crime investigation speak in that Michael Mann way. If it's so precise and so like, just the right amount of detail to sell you on how good everyone is at their job and how professional everyone is while also giving you these insane character quirks like you can read every line of dialogue in Pacino's insane voice and it works so well um she's got a great ass exactly yes I mean and and just the thing is right after I watched High and Low was when I really kind of started getting into this book and you could see the influence High and Low has on the entire detective genre going forward. You know what I mean? And the the, the idea of the procedural and things like that. Um, and just capturing the interest in watching these professionals do their jobs. Like, you know, uh, perfect pairing right there. High and low and heat too. Uh, the other ones I want to talk about, real quick, I watched Xanadu recently. Very fun, crazy experience if you haven't seen Xanadu. I'm not going to say too much about it. I have it.
1: never seen it, yeah. but I cannot... I cannot not say the title of that movie Unlike the way they do in Citizen Kane Oh yeah I kept Xanadu that too. Xanadu
0: Hey you'll be Xanadu s- You'll be singing Xanadu Every time as uh, you watch that movie It's fucking crazy I mean like definitely Take some substances And don't watch it alone um, Love it yeah, that was fun. Uh, then I watched, uh, the de- speaking of music, Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, The Metal Years. Very fun, fascinating documentary about metal heads in the 80s. Um, very much worth it for seeing, like, stupid, young, drugged-out kids being like, I'm going to be as big as the Beatles with their shitty glam rock band, and then cutting to, like, uh, Ozzy Osbourne being like, <laughs> I'm an alcoholic, and I was a fucking idiot as a kid, and now, like, you know... I would never wish this on anybody. Like it's it's great, very well made movie. Um, what was the last thing I was going to say? Uh, I don't remember honestly. That oh 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 the other connection. You mentioned Ray Winstone just yesterday. Went and saw Kingdom of the Crystal Skull at the New Beverly.
1: Oh, that's right. He's in that.
0: Had a great time with it. Yeah, it's, it's time to say it, man. It's time to say that movie is also good. Is it anywhere near as good as the other Indiana Jones movies? No, of Probably course not. not no. But like, it's still but, a fucking good movie on it. I think it's still a fun movie on its own.
1: Kate Blanchett as a Russian, yeah, oh.
0: she's great. Yeah, in it. and like, there's just like, um, there were so many technical aspects that that impressed me, and some that really let you down because it's just like a weird period of CGI, and the CGI in the movie gets worse as the movie goes on too, which is weird. But um, but there was like a lot of good. There's a lot of great visuals in that though. I'd say. I think we're both excited for Dial of
1: Destiny. No, like, I'm excited. <laughs> no, well, I mean,
0: I, in a way, I don't have much faith in it. Honestly, it's funny because we were just talking about Copland before we started recording. It's another James Mangold movie, um, but I'm a little mixed on Mangold. I think that he can be hit or miss for me, and I think he's best when he's doing something like Copland. You know, the stuff, the times he's tackled IEP with X Men or with the the Wolverine. And then Logan, like, they don't. They, fine, you know what I mean. Like, I don't know. There's something that don't doesn't excite Logan, me so much
1: about those. Yeah, you're crazy. Logan is firing on all cylinders. It eh. is, it is amazing. <laughs> eh, eh. It's all right. Wow. It's, it's
0: it's it's try it's trying to be so much more grand than a comic. You know what I mean? It's like really trying to shoot above its class in a way. Which is fine. That's like admirable, in in a lot of senses, I just don't think it does it well, you know.
1: I, well, maybe I think that works with what they're doing. With especially, we've never seen a like explicitly bloody Wolverine yeah, movie. That's fair. And to like actually show like the just the animalistic nature that he has when he's fighting. Like, I think that one does it perfectly. I but I think it's such a great uh, ending you know you're fighting yourself it's, like that that is right. what we're all doing you know yeah. we're all our own worst enemy
0: but hey speaking of shoddy so cg I thought that's funny. <laughs>
1: um well yeah but that's the so thing so it's the girl was fantastic as well oh yeah she's good she's so good in that movie i like it
0: look i like the movie it's just like when you have all these things of like it's actually a secret western or like you know all the allusions <laughs> it has to Shane and things like that it's kind it's not as bad as this um and i also don't think this movie is even that bad it's just kind of like when you compare it to what it's taking from it gets worse but it's a little bit like joker for me where it's like hey look at how smart like, we are right. because we're remaking all this shit from better movies you know what right, i mean like right. that's what that's the impression i get from logan too which and i don't i don't think it makes it for a mm-hmm. bad movie but it just kind of makes mm-hmm. me be like shrug at it a little bit you know what i mean because i'm like I well see where you're, it's been where you're done better with
1: that <laughs> yeah right right and like i i wish i liked joker more than i did but it's right. like king of comedy so much better that's the thing you watch um, king of
0: comedy and you're like yeah joker is useless there's no point in i that still existing. i yeah. still
1: don't understand why he won that oscar like i love walking phoenix but man yeah What a fucking letdown. All right, we actually need to talk about this movie. We do. There's a lot to talk about. We've been going a long time. Not even... Did we even mention the name of the movie yet? I said Peeping
0: Tom. Yeah, Michael Powell. Okay. 1960. Months before Psycho. Yep, yep, yep. All right, so... How much do you know about Michael Chapman as a director? Not anything. Great. Enlighten me. Okay, so very, very fascinating guy. I highly, highly recommend learning more about him and watching his earlier movies too so he is a british director primarily known for his um companionship with a fellow director named emmerich pressburger and together they made a lot of films during world war ii uh before and after actually and were like just very well regarded british like kind of like workman directors in their time So at the time, they were given, like, you know, assigned projects of, like, okay, so World War II was on, so we're essentially making propaganda movies. Uh, Okay, so here's a movie about this, and you guys go off and make that. They were, uh, since those movies came out, they were all successful upon release and everything, and they were pretty well regarded. But since they came out, people have just kind of started applying the auteur theory to them a lot. They were collectively known as the Archers, which is why this starts with an arrow being shot into a bullseye. That was their logo. It's a little different because this one is the first movie that Michael Chapman made after he went separate ways from Emmerich Pressburger. Um, I don't quite know exactly what happened, but they just kind of stopped working together. Um, Michael Chapman and Pressburger, they are massive influences on Martin Scorsese. He will talk all day about how fantastic they are. I watched a great documentary when I was in college about the Archers that featured like... Uh, Scorsese, I think in the late 70s. And so he is coked out of his fucking mind during this documentary. And he is just going on and on and on about how much he loves the archer. So it's fantastic. I highly recommend watching that.
1: One I think one of the best director cameos in their own movie. Uh, ah, Yeah. I mean, Polanski's really good in Chinatown, but Scorsese as the the husband that gets in the taxi in Taxi Driver is so fucking great and like you said he's coked out of his mind now thinking about him like he was probably really coked up shooting that just the way that he's acting oh yeah if he isn't coked up he's doing such an amazing job of acting like he is coked up and jealous seriously it's it's fucking yeah
0: he's incredible i so i would recommend seeking out his bits of that documentary at the very least. Um, but some other movies that uh, Powell and Pressburger made that are worth chatting out, I have seen two others. I've seen blackout and 49th parallel and both are fucking great. Blackout is like a, an espionage story set during world war two about a famous time when the Nazis were bombing London and they had, they had to blackout London so they, they couldn't see their targets. Right. And so that's a really cool spy story just set during these blackout hours when they have to turn the lights off to avoid Nazi bombings. And it's it's really fucking fascinating. Really cool spy movie. And then 49th Parallel, which is a very interesting kind of piece of propaganda that is set from the Nazis' perspective. So it's about a Nazi U-boat off the coast of Canada mm. that gets sunk and the crew makes their way to Canada, which is, I think at the time, Canada was neutral, I think. No, no, Canada was, was in the war, but the U.S. was still neutral this time. So the Nazis are on a mad dash to make it across the 49th parallel into the U.S., where they're not going to be tried for war crimes and things like that, right? And it's a big call to arms for the United States to be like, hey, like, you know, well, you guys have to get in there and get involved and like... All I about, have heard of know. both of these.
1: I, I know that they both have their places in, yeah. in cinema history. Right? I think they're,
0: they're most notorious, aside from um, Peeping Tom, is The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp and The Red Shoes. I know The Red Shoes is one Scorsese talks about seeing that on TV as a kid and like knowing, like, I want to be a director after watching that. Um, and then Michael Chapman also, like, he goes on Scorsese becomes friends with him later in his life and uh, helps he, I think he directed Second Unit on Raging Bull. Yeah, I don't know. You can. See, there's a lot of footage of Michael Chapman on set of Raging Bull, like helping out for that movie. Um, so anyway, it just these guys are kind of like these weird, semi prestigious directors at this time. But then when they split and Chapman makes Peeping Tom, uh, it gets fucking torn apart by the British press, especially, and it does get pulled out of theaters and banned not too long after it comes out because people saw it as so salacious and, like, you know, uh, perverse, which is very funny considering three months after it came out, Psycho comes out and that also and generated, it generated a little bit of controversy, but it's a much bigger hit and it's like, you know, I think that one also grew in esteem as the years went on, but, like, it had a much warmer reception when it first was released, uh, even though these are sort of talking about similar things, Yeah.
1: Right, and you know, I think maybe it's like there's a big twist with it in Psycho. They they kind of try to do a twist at the end of this one, yeah. And there's like a reveal. They're setting it up. Yeah, I mean, they are setting a, a reveal up of like, oh, these all of these women have faces like they're scared to death. That is maybe what the weakest part this? about
0: the movie is the investi- is that polite that minor police subplot. Thankfully, it's literally like two scenes. And then you don't have to worry right. about it anymore. They, but yeah.
1: yeah, they have a few scenes, but th- that is kind of uh, bizarrely, you know, loose. Like, there's not a lot going to it.
0: Right. I think it's kind of cool, and it feeds into things a little bit. But, um, so, uh, yeah, this is often, like you said, called a proto-slasher. What's interesting is that, like, I think, looking at it again, it, it doesn't really fit the mark in a lot of ways i think i guess the only way that it maybe fits as a slasher is like the it is pretty well like it's always cited as like one of the first times you have this subjective killer camera right literally the, it's a killer camera and this one too which is which is interesting and fun and not something that other slash movies do ever you know uh which i, I really like that this this does that adds a lot to it Uh, I think even like Scream 4, there's a line about how it's the first movie to use the killer cam, which isn't true, but it's like one of the earliest examples of it. Hmm. So that's like, and and I think then you have a weapon that's not a gun, right? You have an actual slasher using stabbing weapons and things like that. And then you have the ideas of like um, capturing the victim's fear and a perverse pleasure in the fear of the victim, which is something that right. slasher movies indulge in as the genre
1: goes on, right? Uh, and it, part of it, is, I was reading some list of, like, uh, you know, this is usually uh, typical slashers, and they kind of start with here. Yeah. And it really is, like, a, a bad childhood. And, like, you have parent. Parental issues, yeah, regardless. And I think this one's very interesting. Is like there is a little bit of mommy issues in it, but it's yes, mostly, mostly just father daddy issues, which I, that's right.
0: that is such a great way to distinct uh, distinguish this too from the rest. And it's something that very few explore from here on out. Uh, I'll be, we had mommy issues in pieces already, right? Exactly, yeah, uh, we're
1: gonna see more mommy issues later yeah. on this month, but like. It, the cool thing is, is too. It is fascinating.
0: It's that at, I mean, it, it might be an early example of like a progenitor for the genre, but it also really works as a commentary in the whole genre too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of like that question of like yes. what type of person gets enjoyment from seeing fear, like fear of death, and like, uh, you know, exploring the sick pleasure we get in in watching this stuff.
1: Right. It's not. It's not also just commentating on on Mark. It is commentating about us and why yeah. we're in the theater watching it. And then what I got with.
0: from watching this twice to um I actually watched it more than twice. I had a weird moment yesterday where I I didn't watch it more than twice. I I've listened to the movie 3 times. So I watched it once without taking notes and then my power was out at so I couldn't watch it again. However, I was on the phone with somebody and told them about this movie. And they're like, well, do you want me? I can watch it and describe what's happening to you in kind of a playful <laughs> way. So I was just playing my Switch in the dark. As, was this foreplay? Mm, hey, mm, well. <laughs> I was playing Switch in the dark as this person was watching Peeping Tom and talking to me about it. And so I, I didn't listen to the entire movie, that but I listened to like a good hour and change of it. So... um but well, anyway, all I'm saying is, and then I watched it again this morning, all I'm saying is that from seeing it so many times, you see how the peeping Tom moniker applies to several characters in this movie in really cool ways. And it's not just a thing of like, oh, well, Mark is fucked up and the viewer is fucked up about, you know, wanting to intrude into others' lives in some form. Literally everybody is like that. I mean, it's the entire yeah. purpose of like the guy buying buying pornography and us getting a weird pleasure out of seeing him his embarrassment. Right, I played for comedy. Like that is us peeping on this private moment of this guy, like you know, being exposed essentially. Um, Well,
1: he won't be doing the crossword tonight. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Love it, love that line. This movie is secretly a comedy too. It's actually pretty funny in a lot of
1: places. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I'd go that far, but yes, there are there are cute moments that are Uh, uh, played for comedy. Everything to do with
0: the film set is fucking funny.
1: Well, yeah. I, I think there are there are a couple parts where I mean, especially when Mark is with the one actress doing like a yeah. test screening or whatever. But it really is um jarring when you have the actress who discovers the body. And I I think it was such a it's such a brilliant thing, like, of filmmaking. Because we both went to film school and like we've done certain things on sets, like we we have some experience with that. Of it used to be they were doing like luggage trunks. Yes. And then once they find the body, they're like, well, we have to reshoot this scene. Let's do hats instead. <laughs> and she is still like breaking down. That from actor having she, to say, she is so well, good. In that. Yeah. Do you have a blue one? I, it's also
0: Ugh. a cool thing about this too is that like the Hitchcock thing, because there is, you know, the infamous, it came out three months before Psycho. Psycho was regarded as a masterpiece. This was shat upon and banned. But there's also more than one Hitchcock reference in this movie. The trunk being the body in the trunk being referenced to rope.
1: Oh, like rope. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and then there's others alongside like uh, like rear window. There's a couple rear window like uh, it has some rear window elements to it as well. And I think Pressburger or not Pressburger Powell has even said that like that was an influence on this. Um, sure
1: there there's some uh aspects i think of vertigo as well he I said the, the color that the colors bring. were
0: inspired by vertigo exactly yeah yeah
1: and that i think that is probably like the highlight of the movie to me is just i love it the yeah. color scheme that it's he's beautiful going with. that like first little set piece where the the hooker excuse me prostitutes probably the appropriate way to, to phrase yeah. that what's the british um, word for it <laughs> is is on the uh on the street and it's like obviously part of a, a set and it's just so gorgeous yeah so many different colors
0: oh totally i mean the whole thing i mean you talked about that test that test screen screening scene but that is so vibrant and beautiful to look
1: at um yeah so well, that uh, excuse me just before that i said the color scheme but also i think mm-hmm. the piano score Yes! Oh, it's awesome. miles above. Oh, I think, like, it'd be hard-pressed to say whether the Bernard Herrmann score of Psycho or this is better, but they're, like, right. two sides of almost the same coin. Yeah,
0: and both perfect for what they're doing, too. Like, I love the light jazziness of this, and it adds a weird classiness to it as it's talking about stuff that's pretty perverse. And that's another thing, too, is that, like, you look at this and Psycho, and they are both, like what's the word, lascivious, <laughs> right? They're talking about psychosexual issues in young men and right. have all this phallic imagery and all this provocative stuff. But it's both to the perfect degree for, like, what they are. Like, There's no... I mean, you have that shower scene in Psycho, which, you know, you don't see any actual real nudity, but you get the feeling of it, right? And then in this one, and you, you literally you have nudity, any, but it's...
1: Yeah. You have, like, one second of nudity, but also yeah. with Psycho, like, you... There's no shot of a knife penetrating right flesh, but the way that he shoots it, the way that he's editing it, like you feel those impacts and of I, the blade. You
0: get the exact same thing in this, just with different methods too. It's like it's not the quick editing in this one, and this one is more about the framing and then the transitions and things like that that get you in that mindset of violence, even though you don't see anything happen on screen, right?
1: Right. There's. I think the last bit with Mark. I think yes, uh, that's the goriest. I guess. See yeah. It, but yeah, and that's I think a perfect time the perfect time to do that. They're cutting right, right. They're transitioning. They're cutting. They fade out before the one with the one with Millie.
0: The fade out with Millie knife. is fucking great. That is such yeah. a great transition because the line leading oh, into it. Okay, we'll go Millie. through it because there's a lot to talk oh, about. Millie. I love Millie. Yeah. Um, this is one. I'm just going to say it up front. This is a movie where by the end of it, I. I, I just know from all the stuff I'm going to talk about, my opinion of it is getting higher by the end of this discussion already. Like, just thinking about all the different elements of this and how they work together. Um, so let's start out with the beginning. And uh, we start with just a close-up of an eye after the infamous Archer uh, logo. Close-up of Mark's eye opening. So it's a close-up of the human eye. We see what the eye is seeing. It's looking onto a dark London street. A beautiful set. I think it was all shot on One Studios, and it looks set-like, but in a nice, kind of fantastical way. Um, it reminded me of uh, Eyes Wide Shut, where you can tell it's all New York oh, sets right. when he's outside, but they add a weird, like surrealness to everything that works.
1: And it's it's insane to me thinking about how much time, effort, and money was put into that set. Yeah, same and it's studio, really studio actually. not yeah. that long. Right, it's not that long that you see that. Actually, shot in the same place. This is Pinewood Studios,
0: where they shoot all the James Bond movies, where they shot Star Wars. Yeah, Yeah. Indiana Jones, The Shining. Um, Probably the best film studio sets in the world, I'd say. My favorite, probably, out of the ones I, like, can name. (laughs) Um, So, anyway, we see the close-up of the eye, see what the eye is seeing, and then we see a close-up of a camera being revealed under his jacket, and then we see what the camera is seeing. And so already we are equating Mark and the camera. They are one. They even call it an extra limb of his later, right? Mm -hmm. Which is both a phallic reference and just the idea that, like, Mark and the camera are the same being. They're inseparable. So he comes up on this prostitute, like you said. Nice bit of storytelling where we can't really tell what she is by looking at her. But her first line being, that'll be two quid. You're like, okay, I get it. She's a prostitute. You follow her up the stairs. You pass a huffy-looking woman, which I—I I just a little moment I liked. Um, once they get in, like he said beautifully shot. It looks a lot like the scene in Vertigo, um, you know, of of her stepping into that green light and everything. Uh, the camera pushes in farther and farther. She gets more and more scared as he gets closer, and she screams. And then we—this uh, is within the three minutes—and we get our first kill. We then
1: cut to the title. First of all, right? I think. Um it's a it's a good title card. I yeah. what I also enjoy is that it 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 strings it out a little bit of like we don't know exactly what the murder weapon is. Right. Like, yes, we learned that later on, and it's a really cool one. I don't think it I've is. ever seen one that's like that idea it's on, it, of it. It's fucking it's cool. It's pretty fun. Th- this
0: right? it's it's so ahead of its time, the weapon, in terms of like the meta-ness of the genre. Like if a If an 80s slasher had this, you would be like, that is a genius thing. That is like, you know, a deconstruction of the entire genre and what it's about. But this is a progenitor of it. And we already have this. It feels so like it feels decades like ahead. It's that's crazy. Exactly. Right. So we then see our main character, Mark, who we recognize pretty quickly as the killer. he has got the same exact camera um, and got the blue eyes. He is recording the investigation the next day
1: that's pretty great i do love you know returning to the scene of the crime like other you know serial killers uh do you think this was the camera that zapruder was shooting it has to
0: have been three years later the magic camera it's like a
1: six it's a 16 millimeter handheld
0: yep i mean hey we had magic bullets at in dallas that day well not a magic camera too
1: uh you know he's so in love with this camera yeah to the point where he kisses it later on oh i mean there's, there's a scene a, of him a such a thing
0: there's a scene of him stroking it at a key moment that is so fucking sensual like yeah it, it, it's crazy uh so he's filming the investigation somebody calls him on it and he just says he's a reporter uh so then we get to um <laughs> we see him go into work where he makes money at this photography store. So what's interesting about this? I don't get this. There's nude photos on the door. That's a little bit of nudity you see in this movie. Um, yeah, and it was they, also I think
1: the they have like little black boxes. I I was I you know, I, I had think my, I, my my microscope.
0: I think I saw nipples on at least one of them. Okay. I was I was seeing that this movie is considered the first mainstream British film to contain nudity in it. Like, right? know, got a like, theatrical release
1: two seconds of Millie on the bed and then they yes. just fade out. But there, was bizarre, originally, like
0: she, there was originally more, she, but it all got cut. She
1: has clothes on and then it the cuts to her being nude on the bed. Right. Like it was a very weird jump cut, but yeah. It's it's, uh, it's there's love, a
0: couple there's a couple of jump cuts where they removed footage,
1: yeah. Right. I love 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 uh the store owner and then the man who comes in to buy pornography. So
0: great little scene. The store owner's he's just like this kind of, you know, small bald british guy with glasses and then a very befuddled older gentleman comes in to buy pornography it's like a monty python sketch for a second which is like oh you know my good sir i believe you have some views i mean like what it, views of that sir yeah started
1: <laughs> it started with like almost every other like <laughs> the way that movies do it's like um yeah. yeah let me get a, a pack of cigarettes uh, and I'll, candy, I'll take a i'll take the uh, times telegraph and, uh, and yeah. uh, the times uh-huh. right so he buys
0: pornography and then he, like, sweetens the D. De- he buys the entire set for five pounds or four pounds and Less ten. Less than five pounds. Four right. pounds and ten, which includes the Times and another magazine.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then he almost like leaves a without school girl. it. There's a schoolgirl. Yep. There's a schoolgirl that comes in and he just, like, kind of turns his back. Yes. keep looking at the, fo- the he, photos.
0: He gives him the porn in an envelope labeled educational books. Uh, That's the way which they is used great. to do it. But, like I said, I mean, like, even in a microcosm, this movie is doing something fun with the idea of we get to peer into this guy's private life and see him buying pornography and how all that goes. And we get a perverse pleasure. We laugh at him for this. You know what I mean? Like even this is feeding into the themes of the film. I I don't think there's like a wasted moment in this. Maybe a couple with like, Oh, the fear on their faces. You definitely don't really need those. But like, other than that, you know, I think this movie is really efficient and it's not long. It's an hour 40, right? Like, um right. I think it's paced pretty well you, A few number of locations Smaller casts. you know Anyway after he leaves Mark kind of gets the assignment to go upstairs And start taking nude photos Of these models or at least like Cheesecake softcore photos And um, there is a strange Moment where like I-, I love Millie is just chastising the whole time And it's just like I had a lovely night out with my Boyfriend but then we ran into my fiance And she's oh, got yeah. like Bruises on her face uh, she's, she's, just, she's just funny in general she has a lot of great lines before we move off of the store owner too he's got a great scene where he's like what do I always say Mark or no, what magazines sell the most and, he right. goes, and I love how uh, I didn't even talk about the cast Carl uh, Heinz Bohm as Mark he's credited as Carl Bohm uh, he says those with girls on the front cover and no front cover on the girls uh, yep. which is very funny <laughs>
1: Uh I realized later on, did you were you picking up any weird accent with him?
0: He's German. Yeah, as, he's a German actor. Right.
1: And that's what came to me later on. I was like, it sounds like he's German. Yeah. Still trying to do a British accent. He is in fact German, but it's bizarre that I mean he the look that he gives, it, it fits it so well. Yeah. Uh but he is supposed to be British, British raised in the house that he like he's in the house that he grew up in. So right. it is just kind of odd. Like sometimes I'm like, that sounds weird. It I like that. It's never
0: explained. Little. It's not unbelievable too, that it may just, maybe his mother was German or something,
1: you know, or yeah, his father could be German or, as well. But I that's, guess, yeah, I was that, going to say, that's an idea.
0: The idea of like this, cause this is a little bit teeny, teeny bit of a mad scientist movie too, at some point. Yeah. Um, but it also like maybe gets you hints at, Something darker with the dad too. If the dad is German and performing weird experiments on children, like yeah, eh, for this time, yeah, <laughs> who knows what that's implying? So I think the the Germanness works for the character as well. Like it's as a, a detail you don't need, but it does add a layer to it.
1: I think I, blood hair, blue eyes as yeah. well.
0: Oh boy, I can't wait till we talk more about the father because I'm going to propose a theory that I think you're going to like, and it's going to tie back to something we started out with in this episode. But um. So he's shooting the girls. Millie's kind of giving him shit, asking about his romantic life. He says he has nobody. Then he goes to take pictures of the other model there, and she reveals that she's got a hair lip. And he is so fascinated by this and so into it because it's just, like, something that she's insecure about. And that's this whole thing, right? It's, like, peering into people's insecurities and, like, feelings or whatever. So he's kind of excited by that. Um, that's a weird detail that is not really followed up, followed up on, but I do like the no, moment.
1: No, yeah. you were saying, like, you know, everything seems perfectly placed. Like, I think this is one that could have used a little bit more reinforcement. Right. Uh, he was saying it's about her eyes and the way that her eyes are comparatively. Yes. And, like, I, I think it, it, it plays into the insecurity of it, of, like, you know, she's worried about how sh- people perceive her. And so that, that factors into the eyes. But yeah, I love that it's just like, you know, you don't need to shoot my eyes. Yes. And he wants to. And he keeps getting closer and closer with the, the murder camera.
0: Yeah. They do a great job in this. of, and We know from minute one who the murderer is. But just the way the character is written and performed, we never dislike him. I never did. Like, I wouldn't say I'm on his side the whole time, but you're so in his head that he is an easy main character to follow and like understand, you know.
1: Well, despite being a fucking the...
0: murderer.
1: <laughs> right. Once you start getting more of the backstory, like you you have an empathy for yeah. him. He was a child when the fear stuff started and just like getting to see the little um movies that he shows Helen. Yeah. Like you you're more invested in this. Like it, it makes sense why he is the way he is
0: he just he feels human at all times like he's you know debatably not even debatably like he's a monster he's a fucking serial killer murdering women and for like you know psychosexual satisfaction and and stuff like that but it's like but but somehow you don't hate him you still like understand and
1: empathize with him it's really it's really well done counterpoint to norman bates of that like when you're introduced to norman bates like you don't see him as the monster he is right then stuff happens you you still don't know that it's him technically i i guess if you know you're watching it for the first time and then like you learn that it is and then there's the revelation of how he got to be this way and you still even feel more sympathy for him because of these acts Done to him.
0: Well, he also becomes a protagonist. Like, that's the big protagonist switch: is that it goes from being a goes from being about Janet Lee to Norman, and then you start rooting for him the same way you did with her to get away from her crime. Where he's hiding her body, and there's that moment of tension where you think the car is not going to sink all the way, and yeah. you feel you want him to get away with it. You're like, oh shit, the car's going to get discovered, and then when it sinks, you're kind of like relieved. You know what I mean? The same way he is, and. This isn't really doing that same thing. It's more just exploring Mark's psychology. But, like, everything we find out about him, we kind of just grow to understand him more. Not necessarily like him more or dislike him more. We just kind of get more into his, like, his mindset. And how it relates to, like, cinema and the power of the camera and things like that.
1: Right. And just thinking about it, we I mean, we're, we're probably going to keep referencing Psycho. But just the childlike nature that both of them have...
0: And then, mock- and then know, the like- mocking voice of a dead parent, right? Like yeah, coming back to haunt them. Um, there's there's cool parallels. Mother and father in, in these two movies are quite a pair. Uh, so to, to get through more of the plot and stuff, and um, oh, it's also it's uh, Pamela Green as Millie, who I think was a pretty well known like kind of model in England in this time, like known for her salacious photographs and things like that. Okay, that makes um, sense then. Yeah. So this is where we have... Oh, also Miles Mallison was the elderly gentleman customer, which is what his credit is. Um, he's also in Horror of Dracula. He's a, a British character actor that is in all sorts of classic movies. Got um, great look. Yes. So this is where he goes home and he does his peeping. He peeps through the window at the 21st birthday party of um, Helen Stevens. Was her name, I believe? Yeah there's a really nice transition to where Millie is pouring tea on the set of the softcore shoot and it match cuts to somebody pouring whiskey at the party. Um, that happens one more time, which I think is really a really fun way to transition. Uh, so 21st birthday party, they, they notice (laughs) Mark peeping with a very weird look on his face. Uh, he comes inside and Helen uses opportunity to introduce herself. She says, we passed on the stairs so many times. I've been determined to say hello. So hello. I really love Carl Hyde's KG performance here, where he steps forward to shake her hand and then instantly steps back, crosses his arms over his chest because he's being guarded. Because so I think he has the camera on him, too, at this point. Yeah, um,
1: he, he does a great job of initially being like anxious about talking yeah. to people. I think part of one of my issues is he seems to open up way too fast. I mean, cinematic, like you have to keep moving. But the initial, like, hesitation is always really good.
0: So there's a couple of things him. about that. Cause I think it's pretty, you're right. It is a kind of a quick change with him. But I think Sky also is mentally unstable. And he could be mood swings, could be just like that sort of psychopath ability to kind of adapt to a situation as it sees, as you see fit sometimes, you know? Um, Cause. You know, he's he's kind of a he's kind of a basket case, hey. Tying it back to hey. a couple weeks ago. Um so yeah, they they get introduced, she wants to go see what he's doing. Or she comes up later with birthday cake is what it is, while he's watching movies. Uh I think we've also seen a moment of him rewatching that murderer at least once too. Um, uh,
1: we have. And I just want to get into this real quick. I yeah. uh I hate well it it's appropriate for the character but i hate that his viewing chair is just a director's chair (laughs) it does say his name which is real nice but it made me think about like another psychopathic killer um did you ever see that Dahmer wanted to have like a whole shrine in his closet and he was planning on like he like there's drawings of it you can get and he wanted this giant black leather chair to sit in because you know leather is very easy to wipe down once you get certain things on it um, but yeah I just I was thinking about that of like if you're yeah. going to be viewing your these are his trophies which right. is another thing that I think we should be bringing up continuously like pieces. He took trophies, parts right. of a woman's body. It's interesting. These are the this trophies. Is,
0: this is so long before that idea is established as like commonly known about serial killers, right? Right. Like they they collect right. trophies. That's a thing that you talk to, like you know, you read anything about criminal psychology and like, you know, the, like serial Mind killer profiling. Book. Yes, exactly. Right. They they talk about like they always take some kind of remembrance from the crime scene. They're, I mean, it's, it, it's pretty rare that they don't take something because they need to relive that moment over and over. Right. Also, it's also, bringing the a,
1: same thing with going back to the scene of the crime.
0: Yeah, totally. And uh, this idea of th- also too the killer watching mm-hmm. his own movies. I mean, it thought maybe think of uh, the last horror movie like we t- we've talked about previously in the podcast, which right. fits into what this movie is trying to do. Is like that. The, those two movies have a lot of, in common as well.
1: Um, I, last horror movie is like trying to do more commentary right. on yes. social situations i feel like this one not as much it's trying but it's, to be there, more cinematic. But it's there it's too it, right. it is it is there but i think it's trying to be more cinematic
0: right so uh the, but the other thing that made me think of a lot and i i wonder if um thomas harris was inspired by this movie but it made me think of um red dragon as well as of course manhunter the michael mann movie which i think this the weird thing is, when I was watching, I watched High and Low a couple of days later. Watched, been reading Heat Two, then watched this. Made me think like all those things you put all those in a blender, and you kind of get Manhunter in a weird way. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. Uh, it's about investigation. It's about seeing. It's about movies. It's about viewing and peeping and things like that. And you know, uh,
1: the yeah. putting putting mirror shards in their eyes so he yes. can see the reflection of it yeah exactly yeah it's, yeah it's red dragon is uh
0: an amazing story it is i might give it more to thomas harris being inspired by this than michael mann then but maybe both right right knows. uh but fantastic book fucking amazing one of my favorite books ever yeah. i love red dragon uh so yeah he, he's talking to helen and he decides to sh- to he relents and shows her when movie he was watching when she came in and in him and it's childhood movies Uh, primarily his father performing weird experiments on Mark, where he would wake up in the middle of the night by flashing a light on his face, and then doing things to scare him and and filming his reaction. So he was a doctor who was investigating the effects of fear on the nervous system, primarily in children, and Mark was his main test subject. And we see he went as far as dropping live lizards into his bed, big ones too. Her reaction is is a little silly for this, but I guess maybe people just...
1: Maybe people she just may didn't one of know. the weakest parts of the movie. I
0: I, agree. I think she has great moments, but I agree. I think she's especially compared to Carl Boehm that she's paired with. Like he is kind of doing way more interesting things with the character. But I might chalk it up a little to the writing and then a little to like maybe the actor. Who knows? Uh, but yeah. I, I agree with that. I, I I don't fault you for that opinion at all. Um, I I ultimately like her in the end, but I agree anyway. Um, so. Uh, the f- I really like that we get a sense of who the father is just through this kind of like it's a little bit of exposition from Mark, but the primary delivery of the exposition are the films they su- are the films themselves. Like when you get exactly. the moment where the father is shooting Mark out at like a park and there's a, a couple on a bench making out, and he zooms into the couple making out, and then the way he is shooting the stepmother later like crotch mm-hmm. first basically and kind of panning up it's like oh that's who the dad was the dad was a peeping tom well, the dad was a fucking they're pervert. both right they're both yeah, perverts exactly like, you know
1: it runs and, in the genes yes. uh i think helen does have a very interesting line here when he, she's you know he's she's getting shown all these weird things she doesn't understand them and she says i like to understand what i'm shown. yes
0: she has a lot of weird lines like that i mean like that's what i'm saying That the writing is just strange for her honestly um which is weird because the mother is a much better written character like her mother and she has some fantastic lines Uh, yeah she does yeah so i I don't i don't think it's a thing where it's like oh they can't write women because even vivian has good lines Um, uh millie has good lines it's just it's weird just helen
1: yeah the the mom has a great one when helen's like uh what's the matter?" Or something like that, and the mom goes, oh, only the price of whiskey. Yes, yeah, or
0: what are you worried about? He's like, oh, the price That's of whiskey for is. one. Yeah, right. something
1: like that, yeah. Uh,
0: so anyway, he's showing her these these movies, and he's saying some really interesting things. We see the moment of the father gifting him a camera, which is the father it's pa- symbolism symbolism for him passing on his own affliction, being like, hey, right. I know you're going to be the same way, so here you go. A lot of cool stuff. He even films him at his mother's deathbed, which is like fucking really upsetting idea
1: shows the burial yes uh, it, you know we insinuate that it was only like six weeks after the mother died and was buried that he's then marrying quote-unquote her going successor on his right yeah i love the uh, i love the reference choice of, of her as a successor yeah.
0: yes that's the thing it's like this is such a great there is such a great script until Helen talks. I just maybe they don't know how to write young people. Is maybe the thing she's supposed to be twenty one. Um,
1: so anyway, and, and I mean it's mean, but like she's supposed to be like I'm assuming she's supposed to be like super hot, right? And it's like well, yeah, maybe she's a cute. British ten. I think she's kind <laughs> of cute. Eh,
0: you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're right, but there's there's I mean we'll get to one right now. We'll get to Vivian the stand-in. You know, she's a uh, Vava Boom. Yeah, she's beautiful. So that's where we go to right away is we go to the film studio. And first we see Don Jarvis, the head of the studio. Oh, uh, I should say too, Helen is played by Anna Massey. Um, and then this is Michael Goodlife. Goodlife? Goodlife? I guess Goodlife as Don Jarvis. Sees so the head of the studio. Very fun moment where he's just on the phone with, with like Columbia and like other film studios. And they're like, you know, we want it, we want it. So he's making some kind of deal. And he says oh, no, it's two some, lines it's back some to writer. back. It's
1: like his right. assistant saying, like, this movie's the script is gonna be a hit. Everybody wants it. Yes. And that's he's it, like, yeah. ah, I'll call tomorrow. Yeah. He
0: he says two lines back to back that are very funny. He says, I'll send he's send me a memo on it, and then he hangs up the line. And then he immediately the memo, turns yeah. to his secretary and says, Take a memo. And like it, it is so weird. The fact that they say it twice back to back makes me think that this is not this is a joke like how he says it. You know, I was reading that he's supposed to be based on some real film producer. I don't know. This is an in joke I guess the British film industry probably. Um so anyway, but he says a do memo love out. His
1: line. Yeah. yeah, go ahead.
0: This is the thing. This is like full on comedy for a little bit cuz he says the line, you know, a new uh it's like a new policy if the first take if the camera is able to see the first take, print it, go with it, or something like that, right?
1: If you can see it and hear it, the, yes. the first take is okay.
0: First take is okay. Cut to take 49 for the film they're shooting. Yeah, So fucking funny. Uh, this is where we get the director, whose name is... Oh shit, uh shit. Esmond Knight is the actor, and he's playing Arthur Baden. And, again, this is all played for comedy and laughs, right? That he's supposed to be this, like, very stuffy, uptight director. A million takes for what is clearly, like, a lower-grade movie, right? Like a sort of, like, cheap, just like comedy. Um, So, but I love, we compare and contrast his directing style to uh, Mark's. And you see how much more artistic Mark is and how he directs people when he's doing that. I mean, the cool thing with Mark is he's directing people without them knowing it in everyday life, right? Like, he is setting up the police to be actors in his movie. He is setting up these girls to be actors in this movie without them knowing. And you see his personality change based on when he's doing it versus when he's not with Helen, right? Where Helen, he's out of his element because he's not controlling the situation. So anyway...
1: Yeah, but when the test screening with Vivian, like he is, yes. he is He's so confident. In yeah. He is God. And right. He yes. understands that. Uh, that's what a director is. His
0: confidence with the police, too, of being like, hey, I'll turn into my film to you guys if you want me to. Like that kind of tempting nature of like, this is literally the, the murders on film I have right here. And they're like, no, don't worry about it. You know? Um, but just like the balls to do
1: that another interesting thing that like later on it's like well yeah the killer is usually wanting to be helpful to the police they're usually wanting to be an assistant like i can help you yeah catch this you know yeah but this is all
0: funny to compare to fucking arthur baden directing of just like no 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 awful they're just like yelling you know just being such a fucking prick to his actors especially the the actress um so we see the disaster of the film. It goes on for like 59 takes, I think, before they get the scene, finally. And then uh, everyone's kind of leaving and packing up the set. I really like we have the moment of asking Vivian, like, hey, do you want to go get a drink tonight? She's like, no, I have a date. She looks over at Mark and kind of smiles, right? We have, um, <laughs> I like Mark's coworker, like his like film bro who always wants to talk about movies with him.
1: Just, yeah, I, I saw this movie at the Everyman I want to talk to you about. It. He's like, ah, later on.
0: If this was the if the, me and you were Mark and this guy, like it just you got to decide between the two was which is the
1: well both I know perverts since I'm the like pervert these two, guys. The two
0: I mean, but both these guys are perverts too. He offers he just shows Mark porn later on the worksite. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like hey, check this out. Should we be charging you? Like, you know, hey, it goes. It's the same. So so far we're two for two for these guys. You know, um, could be it could be either one of us. So. <laughs> Uh, the guy wants to talk about a film, talk about a movie with, about, uh, with him, a film at the every man. We never learned what it is. And I'm guessing the every man's a theater. Um, but, uh, so the guy's like, Hey, do you want to go catch catch the bus together and talk about this movie? Because "No, I'm meeting somebody for a drink. So already they're implying their secret plans to shoot this footage is of like a sexual nature. Like, is what it feels like to them. All right. They're, they are both kind of like talking about it that way. Um, exactly and then the sneakiness of it too like you know it's titillating what they're doing um which is uh, i think very fun and thematic so uh there's a great shot of the mark descending on the camera rig when they can turn the lights on too I, the lighting in this is so fucking good just like the way that the shadows are placed and everything oh man
1: all so, the colors that come from it yeah it's yeah it's, have, it's quite wonderful
0: yeah it, it's like almost like a weird fantasy thing being on the set you know what i mean like that's the kind of vibe you get from it sometimes especially when they're alone in the set which we'll get to right now and they're able to just kind of play around and do what they want um so he's talking about how this he says this movie must be so perfect even he would say and he trails off and vivian the stand-in that he's shooting says oh don jarvis but we know he's talking about his father right like i'm gonna make something that even my father would be impressed by essentially Uh, and yeah we just have him being so confident as he directs her around she's dancing around to this fantastic jazzy music
1: an extended dance sequence it's very funny it's uh they're you know they're hiding out they're you know they shouldn't be shooting this uh they're stealing power from another set yeah uh and he even says you know i put on the red light so no one will disturb us even if they know we're here no one will come in because it's signaling
0: it's it's a it's a sacred thing no one's gonna no one's
1: gonna break that like sacred rule
0: yeah so i i I just there's a moment he even like grabs her and repositions her which is just something that he would never do in any other context you know uh they show the name of the movie too because they cut outside to um to show the red light on and the the movie is called the walls are closing in oh
1: which is another weird
0: it's like a weird british dry joke sometimes like that you know what i mean it's like you have to like i don't know you got to think about it for you know you don't have to, it's not like a complicated joke but you do have to like notice it i guess anyway right before he kills her he tells her go and stand on your cross please which read to me is like sacrifice yourself for this movie and he ends up killing her after giving her a nice little monologue about what she should be imagining he says imagine someone coming towards you who wants to kill you regardless of the consequences a madman, she asks, and he just says yes, but he knows it, and you don't. That is breaking down what is scary about slasher movies. Like, that's the basic premise. There's a killer coming to kill these people who don't know that they're coming, and so we're just gonna watch them be themselves before brutally dying. That's the entire genre. Um, yeah. So, he ends up killing her. We don't actually see it. We Again, we just hear her scream. We see him attach something to the top of the camera before he pushes in for the final kill. And he locks her into the blue trunk. So uh, that whole sequence its, it's very like. A, I mean, she is literally dancing around the set, but it's a lot of long takes as you just see him preparing things around her. You know what I mean? Like him pushing the trunks around to act as like platforms right. for her. Getting and that like blue that.
1: trunk right behind her.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's so well choreographed, and like again, just even before she gets to the set, when you have her walking through the quiet studio, you know what I mean? He's, like, whistling in the dark. It's got sets up this, like, that's, like, one of your first slasher stalking scenes, you know what I mean? Um, Because you have the unseen killer in the shadows, like, you know, watching his victim, whatever. Anyway, we go to a pretty good scene with um the mother and Helen, and she's, you know, talking about how she doesn't trust Mark because of his quiet, sneaky footsteps, right? And, She's blind, the mother, Mrs. Stevens, um, played by uh, Maxine Audley. And she is a peeper herself, although she gets enjoyment more out of being able to listen to the entire house and hear yeah. what's going on. She hears conversations. She hears Mark watching his movies and his most private moments upstairs.
1: And she has... She can hear him outside the window. She yes. says she's, like, from the back of her neck, but, like... She's hearing right. him outside and knows, well, that's him watching us. Because that's is a what weird,
0: We talked about these are not supernatural, but she is almost like Daredevil in this movie. <laughs>
1: well, um, I mean, that's what happens. You lose a sense.
0: That is a real thing. But it's like, uh, it is, I mean, she is a weird, crone-like, almost like, you know, mythical figure that like, no again, that godlike presence of the omnipotence, you know, knowing what's going on all around you. Uh, but being blind, it's like she's a sage or like a, you know, something like that. Um, so she, yeah, she hears him at the window. She knows he's a peeper. She knows that he's suspicious at the very least, and she gets enjoyment out of having this information and power over people. You know what I mean? That's like intimate knowledge of what's going on when when you don't think she can uh, she can hear you. So uh, yeah, we have them. Ta- we have the mother and uh, Helen talking. She says she wants to go talk to Mark again. Um I think this is where the moment she's like, you know, 5 minutes and I won't even be finished with my drink and then Helen goes, "Okay, thanks." And she runs off and then she downs the drink immediately after Helen leaves. Um that's very fun.
1: Uh Johnny Walker, I believe, is yes. her bourbon of choice.
0: This is where Mark gives uh Helen a pin, right? And there's that weird moment of him like mimicking her hand movements yeah. as she's like deciding where to put it. That's just a weird detail in the performance I really like. Um, I don't quite know what is going on with that, but I like it. Uh, then we have we have a, another match cut between the mother pouring the drink and Mark's chemicals when he's pouring. When it cuts upstairs, that's the other time I wanted to mention that match cut. Then we have the back on set. They are finding the body in the trunk. This is just strikes me as another like so dry British moment because he's right. like. You know, we're, we have to add comedy to the scene. And again, some another case of him being a bad director of just like, oh, we'll add some comedy to it. I'll think I'll of a come gag up with it later a on.
1: Right, yeah. but the
0: And the gag at the end is finding the body. That becomes the gag of the scene. You
1: with, know, To me, the issue is he didn't know that the, that trunk would be used, so it seems right. like he was just letting, he was gonna let the body rot there until someone discovered it. And it is just so perfect that it then is incorporated into the movie. They're not shooting it, they're just, like, blocking it, but that as it's happening, like, he knows what's going to happen, so he is able then to, like, get around and film it himself. We haven't even also mentioned, yeah, he works as a focus pooler for the movie studio, which is fun that the psychiatrist he meets later is also, like, Oh, my God. That, Dude, That's that, that scene is amazing. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. That scene's so good. Um, it's it's so great that he, he's getting in the middle of the scene, taking measurements, making sure everyone, like, where he would be put, pulling the focus, and that he goes directly to the trunk as well. And, like, gives yeah. him just, a, like, a, a tiny touch.
0: But again, he's, then he's able to pull out his own camera and shoot the reaction of the actress as she finds the body. Like it, it's a great thing, and again, the performance by Carl Bohm, holy shit. you see the panic when he when they first talk about this, right? And then when they says the blue one, like he looks like so afraid for a moment, but then he pulls it together and he's able to get in place to record it. Like it is it's so good. And it's the idea of, like, uh, that being a director and not wasting an opportunity, right? I thought of Babylon exactly. during that moment, you know, of, like, the Spike Jones as the insane German director, which maybe is an influence or maybe a reference, you know? Um, but when he is, like, trying to get in place for that perfect shot, that one opportunity, you know what I mean? the one perfect moment of time to, like, for your film, uh... So, <laughs> he gets the reaction. The police get involved. There's that weird scene of them being like, you know, she was the most terrified victim I ever saw. Like, you know, and then they get the Bizarre. call about the killing yeah. at the.
1: Yeah, we're supposed to care about the detectives as well. Like, we get a scene with them in the car, and the ones like, "Hey, can I stop off at my place?" And they're like, I, "Oh, I like I'm gonna that. Get your your uh, autograph, autograph book. Your, your your daughter's autograph book."
0: Yeah, I like that too because it is like just a police being
1: i think i should appreciate Real any movie yeah
0: i appreciate anybody that is that that accurately portrays the police as you know
1: incompetent
0: yeah totally so <laughs> <laughs> uh we, I, we didn't even mention the great line at the end of that scene where the actress faints and that this kind of shocked me as a pretty harsh line for 1960 but arthur baden oh, says that silly bitch that she faded in the bitch. wrong scene it's awesome uh, I I didn't expect the word bitch to be thrown out in 1960 like that. You know, the police are investigating. They're they're interviewing everybody about the murder. Um, we, we have Marcus so fucking Mark creepy, is, creepy.
1: Yeah, very creepy. In, it, when they're sitting, because he's also like using the camera to videotape just people that are like coming in and out of the police questioning. And I yeah. do love his his friend. I can't remember the name. But I he's don't think just, he gets like, named. You're, you're a psycho or something like that. Or yeah. you're... you're are you mad,
0: Are you mad, Mark? That's He's, it. Yes. He's very quickly, yeah. yes. And then, like, looks over and smiles at him. Yeah. yeah. But that's the other thing. I mean, like... Again, with Mark being a director and a manipulator of people, which, as psychopaths often are, like, he knows what to say to his friend. He knows exactly what's gonna throw him off his scent. Or, like, kind of placate him, but also without telling him... Like, tell him everything without telling him anything, you know? Um... It's, it's funny great. that he
1: can be truthful
0: yeah i always like, like that the,
1: yeah the way that you can phrase it or like your your tone can just diffuse the situation you're confessing yeah. but they don't believe you because of your previous history with them but then the way that you're telling it to them yeah. as well
0: okay so uh i'm sorry we'll speed up a little bit because there's a lot more to say about about what happens in this movie this is when we have met. Helen and Mark are getting ready for their date. He meets her mother for the first time and is, of course, awkward and weird because he doesn't have control over the situation. And she has, you know what I mean, the hearing. So she's yeah. got a one up on him
1: because she knows uh, way more about him. Right. It's loosely a date is mm-hmm. that she has written a children's book and she wants his like opinion advice about getting photographs in it. Yes. Um, and then that's that's their excuse to go on a date. It's not technically, a, it's a like a work date. Right. But then they're both they're both oddly attracted to each other. Helen's she has not that making other... a secret
0: of this though. Really, of her attraction. Well, she's, you know?
1: There's like another resident of the house we didn't even talk about. It. It's his house. Yeah. And he owns it. His father. He's owned the it. landlord. He's right. His whole life. Right. Yeah.
0: Um. And we find out that the room she's staying in is his mother's room. His mother's, right. Which is a nice touch. So, yeah, we have a great moment where, like, she's telling him about her idea. It's going to be about a magic camera that sees grownups as they were as children, which is exactly what he is trying to get at, too, with his film. Right. Of trying to capture that true essence of fear that he experienced as a child and seeing people the same seeing all these women the same way. Um so, uh, I like his acting again in that scene where he's getting excited about this and he, like, jumps up and he, like, throws shit off his own table to, like, sit next to her. Like, we mm-hmm. get some of his, like, mania in that moment, but it gets, like, mistranslated as, like, attraction or excitement, you know? Um, I, get, I just, there's there's so many great, I love the framing of this movie, the shots of
1: it. It's just really beautiful yeah. to look at. Uh, but as they go on their date, there's, like, multiple times that he sees people being intimate Yes. And like literally stops everything he's doing to then watch these people. And like a did couple of out. Right. But you notice this time, though.
0: This is where I start to like um, start to like the performance for uh, Helen a bit because each time she pulls him away, but she kind of has like these sly smiles herself. Like she's also kind of amused by it. You know what I mean? And possibly even enticed a little too. She has she's the. She's understanding she has the wi- more of right. him. She has right, the will to move on from it. She doesn't get obsessed like he does. But she also gets pleasure out of seeing these moments,
1: you know. And she she sees it as more innocent, yes, of of what his intended purpose of it is.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I yeah I really like the date scene. I just again his confidence is building. I love the way that he's. We get the sense this is more the real, real him, right? When he's with yeah. Helen, like how, being shy and scared, and like. You know, not knowing what to say or do. Because um, it's somebody seeing him without his camera for the first time, essentially. Even at work, he's behind the camera the whole time, right? Which is where he gets that confidence, probably. Um, so anyway, they have their date. Which makes come sense. Back. When you're, brief kiss. When you're
1: doing a job, when you know yeah. what you're doing, and you're good at it, you like you have the confidence.
0: Yeah. Uh, they come back. They, they They have a brief kiss. Um there's a weird moment where that whenever they come back and oh, that's it. So they come back from the date and are in his his room, and you're talking about how he didn't have his camera with him the whole time. This is where she calls it a, sep- a you know, an extra limb, um, right. which is a great I, way to describe it.
1: They share the brief kiss and then he kisses the camera.
0: Yes. Then he kisses the camera. To like the like yeah. the
1: transfer. It, it seems like that's what he's trying to do, is he's trying right. to transfer her her kiss to him. To the camera.
0: This around this time where he even says about what he's feeling. She like asks him like, "What are you feeling right now?" And he says, "I can't describe it; can only photograph it." Like that is his only method of communication of like true expression too. So, um, then then later she's saying, "Oh, you know," he's talking about the things that photographs, and she's like, "You know, even me or something." She turns the camera towards herself. He says he freaks out and says, "Whatever I photograph, I always lose." uh i'll never photograph you yep i'll never photograph you so then this is where he goes into his room and mrs stevens is in there brilliant scene here too she's got a sharpened cane which is a really interesting way to equate her and mark
1: you know and even thinking about like this uh uh, thomas harris must have loved this movie because this is almost exactly like Francis Eyed a blind woman, the girl, right?
0: With the snuff Right. Snuff but, playing, yeah. But
1: yeah, but the fact that like he cannot control himself enough to not yep. play it, like he starts playing it, and he knows like she can't see it, so I can still get this yes. like perverse thrill from watching it, and she doesn't know.
0: Yeah, there's so many good lines here too. Take me to your cinema is what she says at some point, and um, we also have her saying. um... Thought, oh, why don't you lie to me when she's asking about what's playing on the screen? Which yeah. I love that. That's such a good yeah. line. Oh man, because it's like no matter what you say, I know what you're gonna. You know what I mean? I know I have you played essentially. Yeah. Uh, great shot too when um, it's Vivian's face. It's the video of of or the film of Vi- of Vivian getting murdered, the stand-in, and he walks up to it and is like throwing his arms up on the thing because that's not a good shot. He's not worried at that point about like the mother being there anymore. He's just worried that the shot is bad, which I love. Yeah. But Vivian's face being projected onto his back and like distorted is so creepy and unsettling. Um, fucking man, this movie's amazing. I love this movie. The more I talk about it, just like every scene is fucking fascinating to me. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where it, it grew in me so slowly because I had seen this before and I really liked it and I think I even gave it five stars I believe because
1: I checked your letterbox but since
0: I did that since I watched it the first time I was thinking back on it like is it really that amazing like I don't think so and then watching it again like it gets it gets me man it gets it gets into my mind and it makes me obviously rant uh, like crazy about it (laughs) so I loved the next day he lets her live the mother even though she's scared out of her mind right Um, and he says I'm never going to photograph Helen you're never going to have to move because of me. I won't be a problem, essentially. Um, at this point, he is considering, what if I give this up for Helen, I think? What if I control myself, <laughs> right? And uh, I love that the next day he's leaving for work and we have a shot of Helen looking out of her window watching Mark leave, right? And see him with his camera and she just kind of smiles to herself. Another moment of voyeurism, of peeping on her part. Right, viewing Mark without his knowing, and getting pleasure from that. Uh, I'm sure she would have been fine if he had turned and seen her, but still, uh, I think it works for the purposes of the movie. So he goes into work the next day. This is where we have uh, his talk with the with a professor or a doctor that they brought into Psychiatrist, set. Psychiatrist, right? Yeah, it's
1: it's so great that the actress is like freaking out. Like again, we yeah. talked about it. They changed it from trunk to hats, but she like uh, can't do it. And they're like, "Uh, we'll take a half hour break." and the psychiatrist is like uh well she's gonna need more than a half hour okay so
0: even dude the the the, the, first of all this is martin miller as dr rosen and he is amazing he is so funny this is another set another case where like this film set everything that happens on it is weirdly comedic which is very appropriate i think because it's like a weird satire of film in a way um but he's like, well, what do you think when they send her on a break? And he's like, I think it's wonderful. He's just delighted by, like, the filmmaking process and being he's on smiling set.
1: the whole time, yeah. Yeah,
0: and she's like, no, 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 what about the girl? And he's like, well, yeah, he's like, a half hour is is useless. Like, she needs a nice long rest, right? So they, Mark and this doctor are on this camera rig that gets lifted up into the air as they're talking. Like, Mark wants a private conversation, and he asks did you know my father he says of course i did i should mention too that mark's father is played by the director michael powell and oh, the actor pl- the actor playing young mark is his real life son columba powell and this was one, really one of the controversial aspects of the movie it was like all these critics being like michael powell's a monster doing that to his own child and then the son was interviewed later on, like years later, and he's like, "Who cares? I was a child, and we were making a movie." Like, I, <laughs> he's like, "My dad didn't like actually do that shit to me." You know what I mean? And he's like, "And I was fine with it. Like, I had fun making it. <laughs> like, yeah." But that was really one of the things that was like most controversial about this. So, uh, anyway, Mark and the doctor are talking are talking about scopedophilia, which is what the doctor says is the medical term for somebody who is a peeping tom. And Mark actually asks about a cure, like if it can be cured. And he's like, "Yeah, you know, uh, three sessions, I week, do love one this. hour each for three years, and yeah. you uproot the problem." I guess this seems like too much work for Mark, or yeah. he's just not into the idea of being cured, you know. And this is what galvanizes him to finish his movie. I think
1: it's not. It's I think it's that it's not as instantaneous as he would hope. Right. Like yes, I think and with all of these maniacs it's like if they could flip a switch and not be that way they would but the fact right. that there is actual like deep work that they have to do psychologically within It's like I, I go, think he well, would
0: I think he would rather just see it out to its end than actually tackle the problem you know what I mean like what his father did to him Right like he doesn't want to face that you know which is ironic considering how he dies that he literally faces it um i like this movie man this gets me thinking (laughs) (laughs) so uh i love the shot of just as they come down again the shadows that pass over them as they as they lower back and um again dr rosin just the whole time is very funny you know where it's just like uh even at the very end like learning he doesn't even know who the director is he's just like Uh so new to all this yeah so this is a great moment where he goes back to millie because he decides I need to like get this frustration out the only way I know how by murdering and filming it. So he uh, takes Millie up for a shoot and I he's invest. He's also still filming the police as they're tailing him because now they're kind of on you're kind of suspicious of Mark. And so that's the other thing he's getting even the police. So we got uh Baxter. The to walls the Baxter. are
1: closing in.
0: Yes, exactly. The walls are closing in. Uh, we have Keith Baxter as Detective Baxter, right? He's the kind of jokey guy. He's the one who's like snapping along with the music when they're playing it on set. Oh, we didn't even fucking talk about him shooting the murder investigation from above. That's Talking pretty about cool.
1: cool. Talking about becoming
0: yeah. God. Like, the shot of him floating above everybody, essentially. Like, In the rafters, down. yeah. Oh my god, it's so good. And then the amazing shot of the pencils falling through the air. Like, the tension of that, you know? Um... But I love that, and again, again, he is directing all these people without them knowing. He is putting all these actors in the place to shoot the investigation scene for his murder, his murder, his horror movie. So yes, we even see Detective Baxter, who's the jokey guy, right? He's tailing Mark, and he even gets on the phone and him talking about his investigation to his detective to his boss. He is getting pleasure out of peeping on on Mark. He was just like I saw him. I followed him here. He, now he's, he just went to the, into the store. And the guy, the way the guy's smiling, everybody has this perverse there, pleasure. Yeah, of watching there's others. a lot of
1: la- layers to all yeah. of this, but uh, I think we're pretty <laughs> much right there at the the end of <laughs> uh, so the is... Millie
0: scene. Great line where she says, "You're a documentary and a half." You are when he when he tells her that he's making a documentary. Great That's fucking good. line. Yeah, and then she says, "Is it safe to be alone with you? I wonder. Might be more fun if it wasn't." Then fade the black, and she's fucking murdered. Great, great way to end that. So yes, then we have Helen being even more of a peeping tom, and she's prying into into Mark's things without him knowing, right? And she starts playing one of his one of his snuff films. He comes in and finds her. He reveals that the entire place is wired for sound. He's been recording sound to go along with this the entire time. His father was doing that, too. His entire life has been a filmed experience. In Every, every single he thing did, he does. yeah.
1: He talks about his. he never knew a moment of privacy in his yes. childhood. Yep.
0: And First so nobody, nobody in the house uh, has a moment of privacy between him and the mother listening downstairs and everything. So she has a great line, show me before I remain frightened for the rest of my life, show me. That is the line that hammered in. I think this movie may have even been an influence on the Fablemans, tying it all back to our first discussion. Because what did they they say Sammy makes his movies for? To watch again and again to not be scared of them, right? What is Mark doing? Filming this true expression of fear to get past his childhood trauma of his father doing that to him filming his fear and seeing it over and over again to face it one day right like not only that but you have just like this family drama of a scientist father right and a filmmaker son
1: very cold calculating
0: yeah i mean like i know that was spielberg's real life but it is just a weird parallel you know uh but also like the father trying to understand things from an intellectual level right by doing this and like um and then just not understanding the son right or like compelling the son to try to like top that in some way i don't know uh you know to impress his father through his cinematic art (laughs) so yes he long story short he fucking runs into the spike to avoid being caught by the police
1: well Um, yeah it's so funny like you spend so long on these (laughs) like Very almost oh, like, and then unnecessary like, you know, super, details. Hold and then on, let, like let me look poetic. up this cop's name, and then it's yeah. like the the giant inset piece. You're like, yeah whatever, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but yeah, the cops are coming in. Helen's like, you know, show me. I if you don't show me, I will imagine even worse things. Right. Oh, which
0: describes it, perfectly what this film does with the violence.
1: And then it seems like this is something he's been planning, because he goes into a corner, yeah. like flips a switch, and he's like, I've timed it, you know, countless times, is that then all of these uh, cameras, regular photo cameras, are just like snapshotting pictures as he is running into, well, he gets to it, and then hesitates, Helen comes and he has to like knock her off again, and then he does it, and it is a very, like, drawn out dying yeah scene and um it's and I think it's very touching I think it it is you know what he was ultimately afraid of yeah is how he decides to go out as well and it's how he killed all of the other people yeah that's another and so he's, great and
0: one. he's putting himself through the same thing and it's right. it's not that he ever had a distaste for those people or like a hatred towards them maybe in some sense you know in order to like actually go through the act but he's putting himself himself on their level. You know what I mean? Of like, I am experiencing the same thing you are. I am being filmed, right. and my last moment is captured on on film for eternity. You know? Well, uh, I guess
1: it's interesting that they're all women. They're all somewhat sexually active, yeah. or or at least like provocative. I guess Vivian's yeah. the one where it's like, well, I I don't know exactly why you're doing but it to her, sh-
0: but she is excited about. Doing it with him because it's because that is a salacious, intimate thing. It's just these two so. people and yeah. the cameras, you know,
1: the and like and complete privacy.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I love it. We also even talk, he puts we see that he puts a giant mirror on the top of his camera so that as the woman is getting penetrated by a tripod, she is seeing her own face distorted yeah. and full of genuine terror at their final That's the moments. reveal
1: that do- yeah. just doesn't it doesn't know i as i think well as, as you want it to i
0: think i think as you think about it more and more it gets better and better just this idea they are seeing what the camera is seeing you know what i mean they are viewing their final moment right you know what i mean like this reflection of themselves as they die as they see genuine true terror and this is also what we get to see you know what i mean from our own perspective like to get to see uh, i don't know i love it the idea of just viewing your own death face like that as it's happening mm-hmm. and it being recorded for people to watch it is perverse and just uh i don't know right, it gets at me psychologically. Thoughts.
1: what do we want to rate this out of i have a couple ideas
0: well i i thought because of millie's line you're a documentary and a half that's like her rating a him out of five documentaries you know
1: that's not bad <laughs> uh, i had chemicals Suitcase trunks, lizards. Mm. Oh, uh, lizards I thought red good. lights. Red lights would be fun.
0: That's good. That's good. Um, you could always have educational books, <laughs> yeah, quote unquote educational books. I just say documentary. So if we give it a half, you can do it in a Millie's accent, you know. All right. <laughs> Murder documentary, snuff documentaries. I don't know. Anyway, final thoughts. I, I can start. Look. I talked long enough, this is a masterpiece just the more I think about it, the more I fall in love with literally everything that it's doing and saying about filmmaking and um, I gotta agree with my boy Marty Scorsese who says has cited this as one of the best movies about being a director Um, about that drive to make the film you want any way possible and how you see that you have psychotic people like William Friedkin and like, uh, you know fucking renner herzog to a degree of just these like weird eccentrics who have this you know strange view of humanity that they manage to capture in their films in the way they know how you know which may uh be violations of people's (laughs) human rights at times you know uh this is not like an uncommon you know uh type of person to be a director uh, this idea of using people to, to suit your own needs and possibly perverse pleasures, uh, its commentary about just the voyeuristic instinct inside all of us, like I think there is so much going on here, that not just getting at what makes cinema interesting and like the weird existential implications of photographs capturing a single moment in time and things like that, whatever but just in terms of being about like uh, people psychologically and what compels us to do what we do. Uh, it's a deep film. And I think that, like, it just gets better as I, you know, pick it apart and think about the excellent fucking visuals and camera work in this. I'd even say there's a slight shakiness of the camera sometimes that gets at that voyeuristic feel. You know what I mean? Particularly, right. I noticed it when Helen and Mark are discussing her book for the first time, and we see him getting excited about reading her stories and stuff. It The way it's shot has that feeling of we're peering into this private moment we shouldn't be seeing, even if it's fairly wholesome, you know. Um so I'm saying five documentaries, five documentaries on a half even. Uh I knew it. <laughs> I love it. I there's I the more I think about it, I'm like, yeah, it's got its slight issues. Maybe Helen hasn't had the, the best lines sometimes and like um it is a little choppy because what they removed, you know, like sometimes a scene will just kind of end very abruptly. Um I always reading because that is because they literally just they didn't really do any kind of like fine editing. They just chop stuff out at the last second. Um mm. I even noticed a weird jump cut once where like Mark and Helen are having a conversation about his camera, and there's a slight jump cut where you see his head like kind of jump, and it literally seems like they just removed a line of marks right there completely.
1: Uh, like
0: that's, that's my thought. That's probable. Yeah. Yeah. But it's very slight. It's almost not noticeable. Uh-huh. Anyway. That's that's me. What do you think? I know you're not going to be as high on it.
1: I I am not as high. I, I I was trying to pinpoint why I'm not as high. It may just be the British stuffiness that I'm not <laughs> you, necessarily okay. for.
0: Is this a is this a Southern thing that just like this anti-Britishness? How dare you! How dare you?
1: <laughs> but it uh, I, I don't know. There's some again just stuffy things. Helen is like eh, we we could do better. Honestly, I, I'm surprised this has not been remade. Thinking about how fucking Gus Van Sant remade Psycho, right. this seems prime for it. You remake it in 60s Los Angeles. Like there's oh. so many other things I think you could do with this that would that would be really well done. I've mentioned the wonderful piano score. It's got such a moody atmosphere, especially with the coloring, the sets, uh, you, know, you know, the actor that's Mark uh, Bohm or whatever his name is. He does a, a fantastic job. I The accent's a little weird, but like I've gotten, I got used to it. Uh, but just some of his like more melodramatic scenes are really good. We didn't even talk about it when he first shows Helen the weird videos of, of that his dad took of like scaring him at one point he, like, turns on a light and is wanting to film her yeah. watch those films. And it's 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 really sad, I think, a lot of it. Is, it's that he was made this way because of the trauma of his father. We've even got to a point of, like, well, he could most likely cure him. Well, I guess that's even something that's that's bizarre. The psychiatrist is telling us how he could cure the peeping tom part Scoop not the philia, murderous yeah. psychopath that he right. has become but they just, from i mean years like, of this
0: generally like the people that are kind of caught peeping in windows and stuff they they do progress into more violent crimes eventually and but, so and that's I how mean, all but at this these, time i don't know if they wouldn't have known that exactly yeah
1: but and that's how all, well i mean that's why it's very like prescient at some times of like the trophies visiting crime scenes afterwards all of these like serial killer maniacs that we're covering this month no supernatural abilities in them it starts small and usually like continues to build you know I, i mentioned dahmer it you know it starts with the golden state finding killer, dead animals yeah, likely a bones, paper beforehand right then creating dead animals and then it's a human and then you block it away you push it you continuously keep pushing things down right until there's no other room in yourself for anything but them um mm. we mentioned the spectacular set design i love the nudity for one second that's real fun <laughs> uh millie was just is just choice it's it is again such a wonderful premise. I'm I'm so surprised. You know who who would be the person to make this? Like Gus Van Sant did Psycho, if Tarantino decided to make Peeping Tom,
0: right? As like a, a it would be a spiritual
1: sequel. To Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
0: Right. It would be so referential and, like, just over most people's heads with him. You know what I mean?
1: But maybe um, I think that's what we would need is, like, like maybe. we need a crash course in film in this type of movie. I think that's one of the things that's missing.
0: You know what? Have you seen the 80s film uh, Fade to Black?
1: No, I've not.
0: Okay, so that to me is not an exact remake of this, but it's very similar. And that it is about a killer yeah. that is um, expressly I, obsessed I with films and recreating films. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That one to, yeah. that one has a little more. Like, okay, we see exactly what he is pulling from, like this kid. But it's a similar thing of like you know exploring his family life and why his brain is this way. He's kind of a protagonist, but he's also of course the murderer. Um, it's not as strong of a film as Peeping Tom for sure, but it does take a kind of similar idea and like do different things with it. Um, I don't think he's making a movie in that one in so much. He's just reenacting movies, but it still fits in well. And it also is a nice comment. It's more of a commentary on the viewers of movies than it is like the makers of them. I'd say Mm -hmm. Um, this one is like, you see this like so many more people than Martin Scorsese have cited this as a big influence. And um, I think Edgar Wright is like said that a lot of uh, I didn't like it, but last night, last in night in Soho is like a yeah. love letter to this movie. Yeah, uh, um, I know Roger
1: Ebert like praised. He put that. on his
0: great films list at the right. end of the century. Yeah.
1: So to wrap up, I'm I'm giving it a four point one. I I think it it uh, exceeds where it shouldn't, and then has drawbacks where that are necessary to carry on the film. <laughs> Uh, yeah, documentary in you know, a I ten are yeah. Uh, out of uh, four point one documentaries, I you know I watched it twice in two days. I had a good time both both viewing. Yeah, I yeah I I was really surprised again like how prescient this was, how accurate psychologically it was about yeah. the serial killer when that hadn't really even been studied to a, a degree yet.
0: And about the future of the horror genre. Like, I don't think Powell right. is trying to predict the next, you know, 50-plus years of horror. But he but without somehow this, manages to do it.
1: Yeah. We don't have Friday the 13th. Yep. We don't have, like, all of these Hall- other You don't have setters.
0: Black Christmas, Halloween. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all that stuff, it goes completely away. And, um even just like talking about other psychological horror films like the ones we're talking about this month like these maniac movies um that maybe aren't exactly a slasher but they're like something akin to it uh this idea of like the realism embedded with it too like um and being self-reflexive about cinema uh which is like that alone i mean that is where i am really loving this the idea that it is like a horror meditation on not just horror filmmaking, but filmmaking in general. You know what I mean? And like the nature of like satirizing these, <laughs> these insane directors who use people as like human puppets, you know? Um, it's, it's fascinating. I think it's a, it's a really fucking interesting movie from every angle. Uh, so that's, that's our talk about Peeping Tom. I, I, uh, as I have been doing a lot lately, <laughs> I, I know I went on.
1: Yep. Gushing. Yeah. Uh well uh to tell you what we're going to be watching next week I think you, I think it was interesting you mentioned the realism of it and I feel like this next movie has almost a surreal image of like suburban life yeah it's got a, a very dark comedic bent we are going to be watching from 1994 directed by Mr John Waters we're talking Serial Mom starring Kathleen Turner, Sam Waterston, Matthew Lillard, Ricky Ooh. Lake is also in this movie. Um, lot, lots of fun stuff. I watched this quite a few times as a child. It's been a year since I've revisited it, so uh, I'm excited. But until then, uh, you can always please rate review, subscribe anywhere you get this podcast. We have email, weekly podcast at gmail.com both Twitter and Instagram, at Weekly Massacre. So hit us up. Let us know if your parents ever used you in, like, a psychological experiment. Um, if you have fashioned any type of camera equipment into a weapon, let us know. <laughs> if you have ever bought pornography under the guise of educational books, I want to hear from you. I want to know your recommendations. So let us know. Yes, please. Yeah. So until next time, well, he won't be doing the crossword tonight. (laughs) That silly
0: bitch, she fainted in the wrong scene.
1: (laughs) So great. I love it. Okay, bye. Bye.